Hello, I'm Ian Flintoff, and uh, for some time now I've been doing research into the communication of science uh, with the Open University. And I thought what might be useful for us uh, now would be perhaps to take a short walk through the story, the history of one of the most uh, prominent and important scientific publications, um, and that is Nature, the weekly journal. What I hope to show from this is how the shifting environment, if you like, the culture, the, the science itself, the means of communication, the language, the politics, the sociology, shift over time and place and have their effect upon the target audiences, the people who write science papers, how the science papers are presented, even the technology of printing and presentation. So what I'd like to start with is, let's say, the first, the first ever edition of Nature. Nature was first published on the 4th of November, 1869. If we were to look at the cover of Nature, we'd see something that looks very much of its period. It's a very black and white uh, presentation. There's a drawing, a pen drawing, an etching, whatever you like to call it, at the top of the page, which has a moon rising out of the sea and the word nature magically arriving from the, rising from the waves. Underneath that, there's a quotation from William Wordsworth. And underneath William Wordsworth, there are two columns of poems or aphorisms by the famous German writer Goethe. That is the entire front page of the first edition of Nature. Now, from that alone, we'll see how much it's changed. That, what are the assumptions? Let's, let's look at what the assumptions are for the kind of people who might pick that up on the equivalent of a railway platform and take a look at it. Well, first of all, they wouldn't be, as the saying is today, they wouldn't be into very heavy science. They'd know something probably about Wordsworth. That would ring a bell. They might even have heard of Goethe, who was, of course, also a scientist. He was a, an expert on bone structures. But it would be a sort of rather broad-based readership, and I think that's what we can think about for the first editions of Nature. If I could just track back for a moment, Nature was by no means the first, nor was the only one at the time. There was another scientific journal called Scientific Opinion, which was launched at the same time, November 1869, but that only lasted for six months. Nature, however, survived. It had this general kind of readership. In the pages of that first edition, there were articles on the Suez Canal, there were articles on moths, there was an article welcoming the fact that women were being admitted to Edinburgh University to study medicine and actually saying anyone who thought that this was a bad idea were idiots. So that shows that nature was pretty well ahead of its time because women didn't get the vote for another 50 years after that. Again, the, the, the content of the journal was pretty broadly based. And um, if we were to look at it today, we'd see that it was what would now be called an easy read. There was no real difficult or technical science involved. That was the start then. So it had a target readership, which was, of course, still limited because it was limited to the educated people of the time. When I said just now that people might pick it up on a railway platform, it wouldn't mean that everybody, um, everybody in the town or village would have a good time reading nature. It was for the educated and it was for those with an interest in science. Now, let's move on. Science had a bad time in the UK, particularly in the 1880s and the 1890s. Politicians were not all that keen on science, and there was a kind of uh, backlash which is familiar to some of us today. People were thinking that science, particularly what we'd now call reductionism in biology, was actually saying that human beings were no better than animals. This meant, then, that um, the science began to feel a little bit self-conscious and a little bit self-protective. However, that uh, hurdle was overcome, and to give some idea of statistics, around 1850, um, excluding agriculture and medicine, there were only 50 
um, academic scientific sort of posts in the UK, 50. By 1900, there were 400. So that shows that science was moving on. And if we looked at nature, we'd have seen also that nature too was moving on. Printing was getting better. There were more diagrams, more illustrations and so on. And if we could just think about for one moment the ownership, that would give us a clue to why nature survived and why it was able to expand and why it was able to reach out ever more to a broader and broader audience. The journal was started in November 1869 by two brothers called Macmillan, who, as the name suggests, were Scottish. They were very adventurous in their publishing, uh, their publishing ambitions. They published, um, they published The Water Babies by Charles Kingsley. They published Alice in Wonderland um, by Lewis Carroll. And I mention that because it means that when nature was launched, they didn't depend entirely on nature being a very successful or, or, or massively successful circulation. They had a lot of other irons in the fire. Interestingly, as a a footnote, Charles Dodgson, the eminent mathematician, wrote in Nature under his own name. And, of course, as we all know, he was also Lewis Carroll, who wrote um, Alice in Wonderland. So the uh, Macmillan brothers published both. By the turn of the 20th century, Nature was beginning, however, to feel more and more specialised, more and more a specialised journal just for scientists. And those rather easy reads, the kind of letters from... Uh, reverend uh, vicars in the country who talked about the blackbirds or the moths um, began to disappear and it became more a journal written by scientists for scientists. That's quite an important point. Norman Lockyer, for example, the first editor of of science, of of, uh, nature I should say, was himself a scientist. And scientists in the early days, Charles Darwin included, wrote quite regularly in nature. However, over the period of the early part of the 20th century, it became more and more specialised. The language changed because the feeling was that the science was being read by scientists and therefore the language could be more and more specialised. It's worth noting on the way that the two world wars, the First and Second World Wars, also focused the, uh, the scientific, um, scientific specialisation even more. When we come to the second half of the 20th century, we begin to see that the appearance of the journal has changed. It now begins to be a rather glossy journal, well printed, and notably all the letters and papers of the the science contributors are at the back of the journal under the section called Letters, which are actually peer-review papers. Now, many have told me that... uh, say, an astrophysicist reading, um, uh, say, reading a paper on molecular biology would almost be as baffled about its content and meaning um, as a member of the lay public. So from the Second World War onwards, it began to become even more and more specialised. It also began to become more and more globalised. It was in 1970 that the first office of nature was opened in the United States, in Washington. It became more and more a global journal aimed at scientists, for scientists, with particularly written papers of uh, research and peer review as an important part of it. You'd think, perhaps, that if the globalisation occurred, it would become more and more familiar to the public, but that isn't so. The very success of the journal, the fact that under the Macmillan Brothers, it was able to keep expanding, but was always, as it were, Um, a stable mate with many other publications they made. They did music dictionaries, they did novels, they did plays, they did education material. So that meant that nature could all the time more and more and more refine itself, both in terms of language and in terms of presentation for a particular uh, audience and readership of scientists.
It was taken over in 1995 by a very large German consortium called Holzbrink. Holzbrink had a global empire, not as big as uh, Rupert Murdoch's empire of, uh, of the news corporation, but a very vast one that included interest shares in Wall Street Journal, for example, and so on and so on. It was a result of this that the, that the strength of nature was able to continue to expand globally. It now had offices in Tokyo, Australia, Canada, Africa, and everywhere. But, of course, it still continued to become more and more uh, refined as an instrument for scientific communication. There were one or two things that were curious along the way. One was, for example, that uh, they still wanted in some way to make the covers appealing. I remember one which was on the 21st of October 1993, which had um, a space view of the planet Earth, and the caption underneath read, Is there life on Earth? This, in fact, was a bit of a leg pull. What they were actually doing was testing the instrumentation of one of the satellites going around the Earth to see whether they could detect life in that way. But clearly the cover was the kind of headline enticement that we are very familiar with in the tabloids. In 2004, they had Kerry and Bush on the cover with the caption Head to Head, which shows again that nature was conscious of the political framework in which science was communicated. But overall, uh, to sum up, if we go back to 1869, look through the journey of uh, later Victorian England and then the uh, 20th century, we see that the language the political economy, the ownership and production of nature has been extended globally in the sense that it's become stronger and less susceptible to, uh, well, for example, to, to bad circulation figures. But on the other hand, because of its success, it has become more and more a journal purely for scientists. And the language itself, in the uh, letters particularly at the back, do show that it is aimed and targeted almost exclusively now to specialist scientists. From the Open University. For more information, go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use.